0: I have not been to seminary, but I do have some seminary books. Uh, There was a pastor who was retiring, gave me a lot of his old books, and uh, he gave me this one that was, it's called the Portable Seminary. It actually was just giving you an overview of all the different topics that you study whenever you go to a seminary. So, uh, you know, as you look through the chapter, the table of contents, but as you look through it, you see topics like scripture, biblical languages, exegesis, hermeneutics, homiletics, uh, soteriology, that's the doctrines about salvation. You have eschatology, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, between the testaments, church history, missiology. So you get all these things. You know, you can get a theology degree in any of these subjects. And these are kind of the baseline subjects. You're going you're gonna to find them at every seminary, uh, every theology textbook. You're, you're going to see these kind of things come up. But there is one topic from the Bible that never gets much attention, a certain topic that takes up more than eighty percent of the Bible, and yet never has its own class, never has its own theology degree or something like that. That topic is Israel. There is no Israelology anywhere. Whenever you look at what they study in Bible colleges and seminaries and all that, like I said, over eighty percent of the Bible is about Israel. Yet you don't see this topic come up a lot um, in a, as a specific area of study. And so that's what I would like to give you a little bit of today, some Israelology. I want to talk about the nation of Israel, look at it from a biblical perspective, and I want to discuss the question, why does Satan hate it so much? As we look at Israel, if you look at it in its ancient form from the Bible, or if you look at its modern form today, there is something about it that's just different. This is something that the average Bible reader and the average Jew hater are both going to agree on There's something different whenever it comes to Israel. Uh, God loves everybody, but he's got something else going on whenever it comes to Israel. There's a lot of racism going on in the world today, but there's just something different when it comes to anti-Semitism. There's racial hatred for the Jewish people that just goes far outside the scope of your typical everyday racism. And the reason for that is that there's a spirit behind anti-Semitism, and it comes straight from the devil himself. So today, I want to explain why there's a spirit of anti-Semitism permeating the world, and also I'm, I'm going to try to respectfully going to try to disprove replacement theology, and I think I can do it with just one verse. I think that's all it's going to take. Also, I'll explain why Israel is called the apple of God's eye in the Bible, and I'll answer the question, why does Satan hate Israel so much? You're going to find all that out today on the Cross References Podcast. Cross references podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister, and I'm a Gentile, and I'm not ashamed or proud to be a Gentile. I'm not. I'm not ashamed or proud to be American or white or six foot three. Um, you know, I'm thankful I was born in America. But I just, I don't, I'm not one of those people who sees much utility in being proud of something that you were essentially born into. It wasn't some accomplishment that I was born into. Um, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for where I was born. I'm thankful that God loves me and God loves you, regardless of where you were born. I think God loves all of us. But that said, the plan for each person's life, God's plan, it varies from person to person. And uh, similarly, when we look at nations, God's plan is different from nation to nation. And so as I was saying a moment ago, your average Christian and your average anti-Semite, there's something they both have in common. It's that they both recognize that God has a unique plan and purpose for the Jewish people. I'm not a replacement theology person who thinks that God is just done with Israel and done with the Jewish people. I find it hard to fathom anybody even thinks that ever since 1948. That was the year that Israel was reborn as a nation, which took a huge step forward in end times eschatology and the idea that Israel still has a role to play. Um, like in one of those seminary books that I mentioned before, okay, here is the academic definition that you're going to get for replacement theology. It says replacement theology, also known as supersessionism, essentially teaches that the earth, that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan. Adherents of replacement theology believe the Jews are no longer God's chosen people, and God does not have specific future plans for the nation of Israel. So you will hear some theologians say, "Replacement theology was the main view for most of church history," and you know I don't I don't get the church history arguments. I just every time I hear that argument, I'm like, the main view for most of church history was having a pope and (laughs) confessing your sins to a priest. Okay, so obviously church history. That doesn't really matter all that much if we're, if we're just trying to talk about what the Bible says. And uh, and I, listen, I'm trying to respectfully disagree with replacement theology here. I could really understand people believing it back when there was no Israel anymore. You know, it, it might be a little harder to believe that God has a plan for Israel when there was no Israel, right? <laughs> but ever since 1948, a nation that had not existed for more than 2,000 years it was suddenly reborn. And what do you know? It's that exact same nation that the Bible says is a centerpiece of end times events. And it's wild to me that replacement theology people, that they'll just write this off as some kind of coincidence. <laughs> so I think I can re- disprove replacement theology with one verse, okay? Romans eleven twenty six, 26. And I picked this verse because Romans 11 as a whole It's making the point that God is not finished with Israel, God still has a plan for them, but replacement theology people, they take this chapter to mean that the church has replaced Israel in the plan of God, and so that in God's eyes, the modern Israel is actually the church, and that all of the unfulfilled promises in the Bible about Israel, that they have been transferred to us. But... Let's read it. Let's read Romans 11, 26. I'm actually, to give you better context, I'll start with the verse right before. So verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That is verse 26. All Israel will be saved. So it says right there that all Israel will be saved. So ask yourself this, if Israel is actually just Christians or the church or saved people, if that's what Israel is in God's God's plan, why would it say right here that saved people are going to get saved? If Israel is just saved people, how is there a hardening on them right now, as verse 25 said? How is there a hardening on them preventing them from being saved until later if they are just saved people? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say that saved people. Need to get saved. But if you believe in replacement theology, I don't know how you make Romans eleven twenty six 26 make sense. You know, even a replacement theologian, if we call him that, I guess, they have to admit that verse 25 is talking about ethnic groups because it talks about Jews and Gentiles. So in that case, how could verse 26 suddenly be talking about the church? So there's just no way to square that circle. God has a plan for Israel, and that plan includes the fact that someday, all Israel will be saved. And so this all ties into what I was saying. God loves all people. He loves all nations. But we also recognize that God has a particular plan for the Jewish people of Israel. It doesn't mean that Jewish people are always good. Doesn't mean they should always be supported no matter what they do. Absolutely not. You know, I actually think that the modern state of Israel is a particularly immoral country. Uh, I also think the United States is a particularly immoral country. <laughs> so I'm not like judging them in that sense. But I uh, I think they got some problems. I'm not saying everything they do should just always be supported. And And in fact, this verse says they have a particular hardness to the gospel right now. But on the bright side, the verse I was also reading before says that they're going to all get saved. Unfortunately, when they all get saved, that is going to come at a very perilous time in the story of the world. It's going to come when it's under God's judgment in the tribulation. So a few weeks ago, Israel was brutally attacked by these terrorists from the group called Hamas. And this was a horrific attack. Um, I believe I read that it was the largest number of Jews attacked and killed in one day ever since the time of the Holocaust. Okay, so the first day, the death count was known to be at at least one hundred. And as more news trickled in, like the next day, they said, oh, it was actually at least 400. And then the next day, they said it was more than 800. And last I've heard, the number is at 1,200 plus, okay? And there's a large number of children, even babies, who were killed that day. They were, they were burned and tortured, beheaded. Women were raped. Captives were taken. Most of them are probably dead by now, by the time you hear this. I, look, look, I'll just tell you, I'm recording this. I record these episodes about a week before you hear them. So, you've got some more information than I do. Maybe the death count will be higher. I hope some of these captives could have been saved, but you know we're just we're just praying right now. Anyway, it, you all know the news. I mean, this is has been disturbing to read about and to see the pictures and the videos from that day., uh, but I think it's important that we don't turn our eyes away and just try not to think about these things. I, I think that this, what has happened, it deserves to be reckoned with. You know, those lives that were taken, they deserve justice. And Hamas needs to be totally eradicated. Hamas represents the most radical of those in the Muslim faith. Now, I'm not saying all Muslims are anti-Semitic. They're not all Jew haters. But these Palestinians over there, they sure seem to be. And they have submitted to the leadership of this evil group called Hamas, letting it rule their little colony over there in Gaza. And it's kind of interesting, if you look at the geographic location, these people in Hamas, they reside... In what is actually a demonic stronghold, there's a lot of biblical villains who came out of this area, including Goliath the giant. Um, We're going to have a topic, that'll be a topic for discussion at another time soon. But this has been a thorn in Israel's side for literally thousands of years. And, And they've just, honestly, maybe they'll do it this time, but they've never really gone in and taken that land that was allotted to them. And so, you know, maybe now this will finally be the time they do, if they don't. As I said, it's going to continue to be a thorn in their side. So, But this is a demonic stronghold. It's, I'm not saying it'll be easy. We need to be praying for them. It's often said that all Muslims come from Ishmael in the Bible. And I want to explain what that means. I think it's misunderstood a lot. I, it does not mean that every Muslim-majority country, that they all came from Ishmael. But it means uh, te- technically the Muslim religion came from Saudi Arabia, And Saudi Arabia is the nation that came from Ishmael. So all Muslims have a heritage with Ishmael, whether that's literally in their bloodline or whether it's kind of a spiritual heritage. Um, But they all come from Ishmael in that sense. And they believe that they are actually the true children of the promise that was given to Abraham. The Jews, of course, believe that they are Abraham's children of the promise because they said it was passed through Isaac, not through Ishmael. So it's kind of interesting that both of these groups both trace themselves back to Abraham. And and so both of these groups of people, the Muslims and the Jews, they were both essentially started at the same time. And yet today, Muslims make up 20% of the population of the world, but Jews are only 0.2%. Okay, not 2%, they are 0.2%. Muslims are one-fifth of the population of the world one-fifth of one percent is jewish so there's a huge disparity in these two groups even though they both started at the same time but a huge disparity in the two groups okay why is that well i'm going to suggest that it's because as long as the jews have been around the devil has been trying to wipe them out he's really kept them beat down and i'll explain why later let me throw some more statistics out to you because i find this kind of interesting so muslims okay this is how many Muslims have received Nobel prizes, which, as you know, these are awards that are given out. They don't necessarily mean anything spiritually, but these are awards given out for recognition for making some kind of advancement in um, peace or some of the, one of the arts or something like that. So, or you know, or science or something. So, the Muslim population has received the following Nobel prizes: one for literature, four peace prizes, two for medicine. And that's actually, that's it. (laughs) They've gotten seven Nobel Prizes out of all the Muslims in the world. They are 20% of the world's population and they have accumulated seven Nobel Prizes, okay? Now let's look at what the Jewish population of the world has received. They've received 10 for literature, eight for peace, 57 for physics, 13 for economics, and 59 for medicine. A grand total of 129 Nobel Prizes to the Jewish population of the world. These are people who make up 0.2% of the population. They've got 129 Nobel Prizes. Muslim population. Seven. And they're 100 times bigger. So there is, I'm just saying, there is very clearly and obviously just something about the Jewish people, about, about Israel... That they have a blessing on them. Israel, it's this country, it's this one sliver of democracy and civilization out there in the Middle East. Okay, you go out into the desert, Israel is this one sliver of democracy. Most of these countries around it are primitive in comparison, okay? They're primitive economically, technologically, militarily. There's just something different, though, about the Jewish people. And we just got to acknowledge that, okay? It's obvious to everyone, and you can do what, one of two things with that information. You could thank and honor the Jewish people, or you can treat them with suspicion and distrust and violence. And, and so we see these two different reactions. If something about them evokes these strong reactions from people, you can even either be grateful to them for all that they've accomplished, or you can treat them with scorn. And And there's a lot of scorn that is heaped out against the Jewish people. And this comes from the devil. This comes from Satan himself. He is constantly working to turn the world against the Jews. And we saw it on every TV screen. We saw it all over social media just in the past few weeks. As the Hamas terror group, has it invaded and massacred Jewish civilians, I mean, this thing, it was 100% unjustified. There could never be a justification for what they did. As I said, they were they were burning babies. They were raping women. There is no excuse for that kind of savage barbarism there were pro-palestinian spokespeople who went on tv and there were pro-palestinian protesters that were making excuses for hamas they were saying oh you just have to understand the historical background the context to know why hamas did these attacks that's a bunch of crap guys okay you can research the context all you want there is no context that makes it okay to murder children and do what we saw happen on our TVs, okay? There is no context that makes it okay for Muslim citizens of other countries to take to the streets and celebrate the slaughter of Jewish people, the slaughter of Jewish kids. We saw that over the past few weeks. There is no context that makes that okay. It is 100% evil, demonic wickedness. Whether you are doing it or whether you are celebrating it, there is something demonic about you if you're doing that. In the past couple weeks since these horrible attacks, we have watched as the mainstream media narrative has, you know, become that Israel is mean because they're fighting back and defending themselves. That what the world wants Israel to do is just sit there and take this abuse and get picked on all the time. And any time that Israel wants to stand up and defend itself, you just see a bunch of headlines about how mean Israel is. Okay, don't fall for it, guys. You know, we didn't see that with Ukraine when they got when they got attacked by Russia a while back. You did not start immediately seeing these stories about how mean the Ukrainian soldiers are as they fought back against the Russians. Right. (laughs) You don't see that. But yet, as soon as Israel fights back, it all becomes about, oh, all these civilian deaths, Uh, Palestinian. and, And I'm not saying civilian deaths are great, but I'm saying that's not the narrative when it's Ukraine versus Russia but that does become the narrative anytime Israel tries to defend itself, okay? Uh, As soon as Israel fights back, they just want to talk about how terrible Israel is for doing that. Palestinian terrorists literally go and hide behind their own wives and children, and they want their kids and their wives to get killed in the crossfire. They shoot their rockets into Israel, and they hide their rockets in hospitals, and anytime Israel strikes back, and the hospital gets bombed or citizens get killed. That's what the story becomes all about. It's about how Israel causes all these civilian casualties. Guys, when you read that, it's all a scam. The Palestinians are the ones who are sacrificing their own children because they want to try to control the narrative. I mean, it, it's sick. As Benjamin Netanyahu has said, if the Arabs put down their weapons today, there would be no more war in the Middle East. If the Jews put down their weapons today, there would be no more Israel in the Middle East. These words were as true as the first time he said them. So you might have seen a particular verse quoted a lot over the past few weeks. A lot of people have been posting it on social media as they want to show solidarity with Israel. And it's a, I'm not saying it's a bad verse, but I'm not sure if the people who are posting it actually understand what it's saying. It's this verse from Zechariah chapter 2, it's verse 8. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Okay, so you've seen this verse, maybe a different translation, where it says, he who touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. That 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 verse has been posted a lot lately. I think people misunderstand what the apple of my eye, what that what that means. I think most people think that it means this is something that I greatly admire or something that I greatly cherish. Now, um, obviously, I think God does love Israel, but that's not what this phrase means. The apple of your eye is your greatest weakness. It's the place where you are the most sensitive. It's actually, technically, it's the pupil of your eye. This morning, I went to one of those men's conferences where you know, they have one of these massively strong guys. He's probably on steroids or something. He's ripping phone books because he loves Jesus or you know, something like that. You've probably been to these kind of things before. Well, this guy literally took a metal bar and he bent it around on itself two and a half times. He took a hammer with his bare hands and he bent it. He took a frying pan and he rolled it up like a burrito. (laughs) I mean, this guy was massive. His arms were probably thicker around than my body. (laughs) Okay. So this man was needless to say, he was huge. And yet, if you went up to this guy, if you went up to the strongest most massive guy that you can imagine, and if you poked him right in the pupil of his eye, you want to know what he would do? He He would crumple to the ground. Okay? That's just what you do. If you got poked right there, I mean, that is the most weak, that is the most tender part of your entire body, is the pupil of the eye. That is what the apple of your eye is. It's not just something, it's not like it's something that you admire. It's talking about it's your greatest weakness. And that's what God has done with Israel. He has made Israel his greatest weakness. Now, you might be a little confused by me saying that, or maybe even offended. You'd say, well, God doesn't have any weaknesses. God is all-powerful. How could you say that God has a weakness? Well, I say it because God has staked his reputation and his sovereignty on Israel's future. And he has done this in two phases. Right now we're in the second phase of this. The first phase was when God promised to bring a Messiah to the world. And he said that he would do it. Well, first he said he would do it through Eve. Um, In other words, God said he'd bring a Messiah through the bloodline of the human race. It says this in Genesis 3.15. Between you and the woman talking to the serpent, which was the devil. Between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then a little bit later God said he was going to bring the Messiah through Abraham's seed. So God narrowed the promise right there. He started it by saying I'll bring the Messiah through the human race, and then later he narrowed it down to say it was going to come through Abraham, and then God narrowed it to say it was going to be through Isaac and narrowed it to say it would be through Jacob. And so of course Jacob's sons, they made up the the tribes of Israel. So What he was saying was that the Messiah would come through the Israelite people. And later, the Israelites became known as the Jews. And so throughout the Old Testament, Satan had a clear plan of attack. He needed to wipe out the Jewish people. Because if I can kill the Jewish people, I can stop the Messiah from coming. I can stop that seed who's supposed to crush my head. So that was Satan's plan all through the Old Testament, kill the Jews. That's what he was doing in Egypt. He said, well, let's enslave the Jewish people, not let them go home. Oh, no, there's too many Jews. Let's start killing all their babies so they won't get any bit bigger and and trap them over here in in Egypt. God got them out. But as you look through the Old Testament, all those nations who came and they tried to wipe out the Jews. It's the whole history of the Old Testament, the Amalekites, the Edomites, the Philistines. Time and time again, they tried to wipe out the Jews. This was all coming from the devil. The book of Esther, that's when Haman got... To wipe out all the Jews They weren't even hurting anyone And he tries to just get them all killed Why was he doing that? He was fueled by Satan You see it in between the Testaments With Antiochus Epiphanes You saw Herod try to do it Stop the Messiah from being born He tried to do it by killing all the babies in Bethlehem Well, we're saying these names like Haman and Herod This was Satan Satan was behind this all along Because if the Messiah ever showed up Satan was afraid that he was going to lose. And so God's reputation in fulfilling the prophecy of the Messiah, it depended on sustaining the Jewish people. And again and again, all throughout the Bible, the Jewish people were nearly wiped out. Uh, You know, for all intents and purposes, they should be equal to the Muslims. They should be 20% of the population of the world. Right along there with the Arab world, the Jewish people should be that big. They both started in the same place, the same time. They've had the same amount of time to grow, and yet they only have this tiny strip of land in the desert. It's about the size of New Jersey, and they get to have 0.2% of the population of the world. I mean, they're just barely hanging on by a thread all throughout time. It's because Satan keeps beating them down, and yet they won't go away because God sustains them. And so maybe you're hearing this, you're like, well, wait a minute, but the Messiah has already come. Messiah came and went. So why is Satan still after the Jews? Why is he still trying to wipe them out today? Well, that's because we're now we're in the second phase, where Jesus is coming again. And Jesus made a follow-up promise in regard to his return. Once again, it has to do with the Jewish people. The first time Jesus came, he was rejected by the Jewish people. You know, as I read before, the Jews, they have this partial hardening right now in regards to Jesus and the gospel. I'm not saying it's impossible for them to be saved, but it's hard. And if you look at the statistics, about 1% of Jews are saved. So Jesus has staked his second coming on the salvation of the Jewish people. He said it will not be until the Jewish people change their mind about him and collectively embrace Jesus as the Messiah that they will be saved. In Matthew 23, starting at verse 37, it says... O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So right there, Matthew 23, that's Jesus, and he's saying he will not come back until they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's numerous verses that speak of Israel's future salvation as a collective whole. Um, We read from Romans 11 earlier. One of my favorites is in Zechariah 12.10. It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So someday they're going to get it. They're going to say, oh, our Messiah came and we killed him. And it said they're going to weep and they're going to mourn. They're going to say, oh no, we rejected him all this time. But on the bright side, they'll be saved. They're going to get right with God at that point, And then Jesus is going to return. So when is that going to happen? Well, I believe it's going to happen at the second half of the seven-year tribulation. I think the Antichrist is is going to become or try to become a, a, like a second Hitler and he's going to start trying to exterminate the Jewish people. And remember, I mean he is controlled by Satan. So this is Satan's this is his last chance, his last attempt to wipe out the Jews and try to prevent the second coming of Christ. And he's almost going to succeed in doing it. But as usual, God is going to sustain them and he's going to kill a lot of them. Zechariah says Two-thirds of whoever, whatever Jews are left, two-thirds of them are going to die. So he's going to get a lot of them. But of that one-third who survive, the prophecy says that Satan's plan will fail. That this last third is going to cry out to God, to their true Messiah, and that they are going to be saved. And so this is God's plan. This is what Satan wants to prevent. And that's what makes Israel a nation that Satan hates. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Well, in case you didn't hear the news last time, I am starting a new podcast next week. Episode 100 of Cross References is also going to be episode one of a new podcast. And I'm calling that new podcast Weird Stuff in the Bible. I wanted to call it the Cross References Alternative Podcast, um, but I didn't like the acronym. So I'm going to go with Weird Stuff in the Bible. And one thing that I really like about that name is that the title just requires... No additional explanation. It tells you exactly what the show is all about. But if you'd like a little more info, I'm going to play the trailer for it right here. I think we could all agree the Bible has some strange things going on in it, right? Talking donkeys, six-fingered giants, and don't even get me started on some of the wild things that Jesus says. But when you come across something odd in the Bible, most of us probably just skip right over it. I'm going to encourage you to sit on those things a little longer. Let's linger on some of those passages or verses whose meaning seems unclear. God put it there for a reason. Let's find out what that reason is. Weird Stuff in the Bible is a podcast where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. My contention is that it's not the Bible that is off base. We are. The Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual reality, not just what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears, There's a lot more going on out there than what we perceive, and the Bible tells us more about it than you probably realize. So this is a podcast that answers all those questions that you were too embarrassed to ask about in Sunday school. If you like weird stuff, or if you like the Bible, I've got a podcast for you. My name is Luke Taylor. Subscribe to this podcast today, Weird Stuff in the Bible. So make sure that you're subscribed right now. All that's available is the trailer. But next week, the first two episodes are going to come out. The first episode is going to premiere on Monday. The second episode will come out on Wednesday, and they're going to keep coming out on Wednesdays going forward. And Cross References is also going to continue to come out on Mondays. I might take a week or two off. Don't expect to see another Cross References for a few weeks because I'm trying to get this new podcast going. But we'll keep Cross References on Mondays. Weird Stuff in the Bible will be on wednesdays so make sure that you're subscribed to it go subscribe to both if you're on youtube listening right now um you don't have to do anything i'm just going to keep putting all my youtube content all together in one place well as we close down today i I just want to mention um a a show i've been watching lately and i want to tie this into a spiritual principle in a minute but i've been watching this show it's called better call saul uh you know nowadays I never watch a TV show until like it's all the way done cuz I'm like I don't want it to get canceled and leave me on some kind of cliffhanger <laughs> so I don't I don't even watch a show unless I know it actually gets an ending. And so I've been watching this show uh Better Call Saul and what's kind of interesting about it is that um we actually do know the ending. It revealed the ending where everything is going early on. It showed that the the main character is is going to end up changing his name and going on the run. Uh, it revealed that there's um, two characters named uh, Nacho and Lalo, they're, or Lalo, they're kind of these gangster guys, and and they're gonna. It's gonna end with them having some sort of conflict with each other, and so we know like where it's going, but we don't know how it's gonna get there. And so uh, just recently on the show, I'm like, I mean, I'm like four seasons in, and the characters of Lalo and Nacho just met for the first time. So you know, it's like we, you know, I don't know what their conflict is going to be all about. But I see the pieces coming together, so I know that the end is getting close. Um, you know, when you it, it, it could still be a little ways off, but it also could be right around the corner. I just know that as these pieces come together, we know how the, the last page of the story ends. So as we see these pieces coming together, we know we're getting close to the end. And so as you turn on the news and you see Israel in the headlines and Russia in the headlines and Iran in the headlines... Uh, you see all these pieces here, they're coming together. And I mean, yeah, the the end, the rapture, it, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be a few years away, you know, it's like we, but we know it's getting close because we see all these elements coming together and that, and it's exactly what we see in Bible prophecy. It, it really, get, it really makes you think like we could be right on the cusp of seeing these prophetic wars and alliances being formed right before our eyes. And so, uh, and that's also what I think when I see all this anti-Semitism in the news. Um, There's a spirit behind that. And it's a spirit that's going to be very, very prevalent in the tribulation. Uh, We know from Bible prophecy that basically every nation is going to be coming against Israel. It's going to be this tiny little country that's going to have nobody there to fight for it. Nobody's on its side. No one's protecting it except for God. You know, it's going to be to God's great... uh, Glory that he's going to protect Israel from some major attacks in the end times. And so we see all this stuff, you know, when it comes to anti-Semitism, we see the rise of this demonic spirit that wants to wipe out the Jews, and we know who's behind it. Um, and and so we recognize that this is another sign that we're getting close to the end. Uh, and that's why you can, you recognize the spirit in people. We have some very... Evil leaders in American government. Some very wicked people. These people who are the open socialists in Congress, okay? So you know who who they all are. And when Israel was attacked here recently, uh, we saw that um, they weren't putting out any statements to condemn Hamas or the Palestinians for for hosting all these terrorists in their midst. They weren't condemning them. They weren't calling on them to release the hostages. But... As soon as Israel started fighting back, they're releasing statements to condemn Israel. You you see it right there. That shows a spirit that is controlling those people. That's a it's a satanic influence. You see it behind all these church people who are like, okay, well, this is the week that you know I'm going to start tweeting or posting, preaching sermons about why uh, why the church has replaced Israel. You know, the, so that God has really no plan for these people who are being attacked right now. It's like. Why is this the time to get into all that you know why why is the, why are you picking the moment when Israel is attacked to just try to like kick them when they're down you know what why would you pick this moment of all moments and I don't care if these people if, if they're Christian or not I mean that's a that's an evil influence who is influencing them to condemn Israel the week that it's been attacked by these terrorists uh, that's a what I see is that's a manifestation of an evil spirit who is pulling their strings. And, and I'll just end with this note, too. Um, the word Hamas is actually a word in the Bible. Uh, Hamas is a word in Hebrew that means violence. You know, it's kind of like in a, in Genesis 6 when it says, around the time of Noah's flood, it said the world was filled with Hamas. That means it was a, vir- a very violent world. And um, Hamas is the name that these evil terrorists who attacked Israel a few weeks ago that's the name that they chose for themselves and they're just they're really just acting out their name they're doing exactly what their name says and so uh when you support Hamas you're supporting violence psalm 11 god says he hates those who love Hamas and look at what you see in the news you saw people in London in New York all over the world people taking to the streets to celebrate the literal organization of Hamas. They were taking to the streets in celebration. They were taking this opportunity to mock Israel. I mean, uh, this week of all weeks, it's mind-blowing people would do that. There's a spirit behind them that is influencing them to do that. Uh, God says he hates those who love Hamas. The the little book of Obadiah, that is what this is about. It's about those who watched Jerusalem get destroyed and they danced in celebration. And God says in Obadiah, you love Hamas. And and so if, if you love Hamas, it, what happened to Israel? I'm going to make that happen to you. So when you see people out here celebrating Israel being attacked, one thing we learned from the book of Obadiah, it is not going to end well for those people. If they don't repent, um, they are bringing a lot of judgment on themselves. And there's been a lot of people who've been mocking and attacking the Hamas against Israel here for the past few weeks. And so that's, I'm just telling you, that's not going to go well for them. And if you, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not. Like if you're like, Hey, this is the week that I'm going to pick on Israel. And I am going to talk about how the church has replaced Israel. And you know, this is the week I want to make that point. I just like, I think there's some bad mojo behind you. If that's, if that is what, if that's what you think you need to do right now, instead of praying for Israel and, and, and praying for justice against these, these people who killed a bunch of Israelis, um, if that if that's not your first reaction, uh, I, I think you got evil spirits pulling your strings. So I'm saying this for everybody: we need to keep an eye out for that. We we are living in the last days. We need to be ready for anything. So it's kind of like that show I was talking about. I don't know how everything's going to happen between now and the end of the show, but I see the pieces coming together. I know there's still some surprises on the way. In a similar way, I, we don't know all of God's plan. Um, I I feel like I know a lot about where things are going. But there's going to be some surprises. There's some things that God kind of keeps close to the chest. And so um, the, the, we just got to keep our eyes open and, and be ready for anything. And uh, some of these prophecies, prophecies about the end times, I mean, they're going to happen. Some of them only make sense in hindsight. And so there's some things that you really can't see coming. But when it's all said and done, we're going to look and we're going to say, oh, it all, it all makes sense. And And I hope that the Bible does make some more sense to you after this episode. This has been Luke Taylor. Thanks for tuning in. the Cross References Podcast.